0: you need to keep with me today, there's a few scriptures we're going to look at, and so there's going to be three readings we're doing before we um, come to the main part of what God has put on my mind. I'd ask you to turn firstly to the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament, and so we're going to look at that book, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1 to 2 Prophet Malachi For behold the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evil doers will be stubble The day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch Here's the promise to us But for you who fear my name the sun of righteousness shall rise With healing in its wings, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. If you suffer from rheumatism, you'll be leaping like a calf that day. Because you'll have a new body. No more suffering. New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. And we're going to read 11 verses here. You'll soon pick up the theme. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. And you need to remember these verses as we go through the fifth seal. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And now let's get to our text for this morning, and that's Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to be reading from verse 9 to verse 17. The fifth and the sixth seals which the Lamb opens up. Revelation chapter 6 verse 9. When he, that is the Lamb, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island were removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Last week in the passage about the four horsemen, we started with the question that the world sometimes poses to us as Christians. Why does a God of love allow evil? Today we look at another accusation that comes against God. It's similar but not the same. They say this. God, if He exists, is ignoring all the evil that takes place in the world. He's supposed to be a holy God but He's ignoring it. And therefore I can't believe in Him. How do we answer these accusations? Well, let's look at these two seals that are broken and I pray that you will see the answer, especially in the fifth seal. So let's look at this seal. Do you remember the seals one to four that were broken? They released those horsemen and they were agents of darkness coming up. Today the fifth seal is a difference. In the fifth seal specifically, we see the human response to suffering that comes on people. And then in the sixth seal too, as overwhelming judgment comes on people. How do they respond? We're going to see the response of humans to suffering. And you'll also see that the fifth and the sixth seal, specifically the sixth one, is a prelude to a far greater judgment which is about to break onto humanity. The day of the Lord. The day of judgment, it's all leading to that. So let's look at these seals and seal number 5, martyrdom, verses 9 to 11. Remember who opens the seal. Don't ever forget that. It is the lamb himself, the one who looks slain because he was slain, but who is the lion. He is victorious. This is the lamb who is the only one worthy to break the seal and to release God's plan for humanity. So what does He release with the fifth seal? We see He releases the souls of those slain. And why are they slain? You need to see there are two reasons for their being slain, and you could face these as well. They were slain because they held to the principles of God's Word, and for their ongoing testimony for the Lord's sake. There are two things there. They slain for holding to the principles of God's word, ordering their lives according to God's word, and not budging from there, not giving in to pressures, and also for their ongoing testimony for the Lord's sake, their verbal testimony among people. And in John's day... Many, many, many believers were killed because of these two things. We read about and we heard about the Reformation. Many believers died for these two principles. Holding to God's Word and the principles of God's Word and speaking out publicly their testimony for their love of Jesus Christ. And in John's day there was widespread persecution. And who's it led by? Led by Satan in the background. Because he hates believers. And more than that, he hates the Lamb. He hates Jesus Christ. And so he leads others to bring persecution among believers. And Jesus warned his followers of this many times. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to look at some of these Warnings that Jesus gave his followers, and this was before John's time, remember? Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 to 9. This is what Jesus said. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And believers are caught up in all these things. They don't escape these things. We saw that last week. Then, verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And then he carries on and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, etc. He had warned his believers that this would come upon them. And so this shouldn't be new. He wasn't just saying this because he wanted to say something to them. He was warning them so that they would be ready, right? And so here Revelation reveals the seal to us where these believers are slain and the reasons given are because they held to the principles of God's Word and for speaking out their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we find these believers? What does your text say? Underneath the altar. Now in the Old Testament, underneath always meant under the protection of. So here they are. Even though they are slain, they are underneath the protection of Someone who let's see, they were underneath the altar, they were at its base. There's lots here. Which altar was this? Now you might think that it was the altar of sacrifice. The altar where daily people had to bring animals to be sacrificed and blood was shed and then the blood was taken by the priest and put on the horns of that altar. And forgiveness was asked for people's sins. But that's not the altar we're speaking about here. There was another altar. And that was the altar of incense. The golden altar which stood just before the curtain to the Holy of Holies. Just covered in gold. And incense was burnt on it. And this is where we find the believers. They're underneath this altar. Why? Well, we need to see what this altar is all about. So what was this altar all about? On this altar located in front of the Holy of Holies, incense was burned daily. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the High Priest would take blood that was spilt. And he would come and anoint the the blood on the horns of this specific altar. Once a year on the Day of Atonement. This was the altar we're speaking about. It's a special altar. What else? What was this incense all about? Well... God commanded the priest to burn the incense on the golden altar every morning and every evening. And this incense was to be left burning continually right through the day and night. And it was to be a pleasing aroma for the Lord. Why? Did He just like pleasant smells? There's was something much deeper here. It was there too because the high priest would offer the prayers of the people to God and This incense burning before the Lord was a symbol of the prayers and the intercession which would come up to the Lord as a sweet smelling offering. Let's turn to where it comes from originally. Exodus. I told you we're going to be all over scripture today, but you need to be. Exodus chapter 30, verse 1 to 10. Let's look at what scripture tells us there. Exodus chapter 30. And we're going to read all 10 verses, so then you'll get the picture. Exodus chapter 30. This is God's original instructions to the people. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a moulding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its moulding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You need to see this in your mind's eye now. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. Verse 7, And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it, Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering. Note, no burnt offering there. Or a grain offering. And you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So don't get those two altars confused. This was a special one where God's God heard the prayers of his people as the priests interceded on the people's behalf. Alright, we're clear on that one? So what else happens here? Verse 10. We see that these persecuted Christians cry out with a loud voice. In other many of them had been killed up to now. And what do they say? They say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will You refrain from judging and avenging our blood? As per Moses' song, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. That's where this all comes from. Lord, will You avenge our blood on those who are the earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth, the unsaved, How long, O Lord, before You hear our prayers? When will You avenge our blood? So what are they crying for here? Vengeance? Is that what it is? No. They were basing their appeal on God's holiness and His truthfulness. And they weren't crying for revenge here. They were crying for justice. For the wrongs which had been committed against God's people. And they were calling for justice for His sake in the sight of the nations. Lord, how long will you allow these atrocities to happen for your name's sake before the people who do not believe? Lord, when will you hear our prayers? Avenge our blood which is spilt before the nations, Lord, for your name's sake. They were basing the appeal on two characteristics of God, His holiness and His truthfulness. He is the holy God, Lord, You are a holy God. How can You allow these atrocities to continue? Do You not see them, our God? We know You do because You are completely holy. And You are true. You have said that You will avenge our blood. Your servant Moses said so. And Lord, we hold to Your Word. We hold to what You have said to us. We believe You are true. We come on the same basis before the Lord. His holiness. His truthfulness. Without those two things, we wouldn't even bother praying. Because how do we know things are going to happen? If God wasn't holy, so what? If he didn't keep his word, then why come to him and ask him to keep his promises? He's the unchanging God. Habakkuk had the same theme and there's men, we've been studying this book in the Old Testament Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. If you want to turn to that book, if you can find it before me. Let's look at what it says. I've got a marker. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Prophet Prophet Habakkuk had the same theme before the Lord. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you, Violence! And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. You see the same theme. And you might have been tempted to have the same theme. When you turn your news on and you see all the atrocities happening in the sake of whatever. We know it's evil at work. And you might be crying out, Lord, how long will you allow this to happen? We know there are believers being tortured. We know that believers have been put, put to death in your name. Why do you allow these things to happen, Lord? For your name's sake, for this justice of your kingdom, will you not act so that the world can see that you are God? Don't you ever cry that out to the Lord? That's the attitude we should have when we watch the news. When we see these things, those graphic images that are now portrayed to us by the media. Lord, will you not act? For your name's sake. And that's what these people cry out. And then look how the Lord answers them. This is such a gracious answer and it comes in two parts. What does He give to them? He gives to them, uh aha, something familiar. A white robe again. If you don't like white, you'd better get used to it. We're going to be covered in white robes of some kind whether it's literal or not, we will get these. What is this white robe? It is symbolizing God's gift of eternal righteousness and grace to us. He covers us with a long white robe which flows to our feet. It covers us. Remember the Christians at Sidus? We spoke about this. Those who run the race and who who were victorious received the victor's garment. Same verse here. Same word. A stole this long white robe is handed to them as their reward. The victor's reward of Christ himself and his righteousness. But there's the a second part of this answer. They don't just get this robe. But God says, rest for a little while longer. In other words, wait for me. Allow God to act. Let me do what I must do. And what does God still want to do? He explains it. He says He still wants to bring others into the kingdom. These are their fellow bond slaves and brothers. There's a literal word there for others which must still die. Their fellow bond slaves and brothers. And He still needs to bring them into the kingdom. And many of them will come through the valley of the shadow of death. Many of them will still die for their faith. But Jesus Christ will bring them through death into His kingdom. And then, when that number is complete, when every single one who has been, who must be saved is saved, then his judgment will come into full effect. Wait on me, says God. He delays his judgment until everyone who is appointed to be saved is saved. What hope there is for you and I. You might have been praying for that neighbour of yours for years. And they're starting to show that they are listening to what God is saying to them. And you, you want to pray, hurry up! It might be too late. The Lord might appear tonight. And they still haven't committed. Well, here's the promise to us. If they are appointed to come to the Lord, not one of them will not be saved when Christ reappears. So carry on praying for them. Carry on witnessing to them. They will be saved. And then Christ will come. Those believers who are going through hard times in countries today for their faith. Not one of their deaths is futile. Every single one of their deaths brings the kingdom of God one death nearer. When the last one is saved, Christ will come. That's what He's promising to them. And how will this happen? Through His word. Carry on in Habakkuk over there. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. This is what he says. I'm just going to select a few verses over here. You can read the whole book, by the way. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. How will God save these who still need to come to salvation? Look among the nations and see, says the Lord. Wonder and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Chapter 2 verse 2 to 3. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Again there's that waiting. And then chapter two verse fourteen. And here's his promise, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. And so how will these come to the Lord? They will come to the Lord through His Word going out into the whole world. And when the last one is saved, Christ will return. And then there's a beautiful answer to their cry to the Lord. If you just flick ahead to chapter 7 verse 9, and we're going to come to that next time. We see that vast crowd. And these are the very same ones who were lying under the altar, who are now standing before the Lord. And we'll come to that next week, so don't get ahead of ourselves now. But God gives them a little bit of an insight to what that's going to look like. He does answer their prayers. And there we see those who are saved standing before God's throne, worshipping Him. And you know, every time we stand up and we sing God's praises, we are affirming that great scene before the Lord's throne. Have you ever thought of that? Why don't we just sing God's praises sitting down like this? We stand because we sing God's praises. And it's a reflection of this little scene, or sorry, this majestic scene in heaven. This scene where we see this vast crowd standing, worshipping God together. Every time we sing God's praises and we stand and sing, whether in public we are affirming realities that our culture now denies. So it's a public testimony to God. Where else does our culture stand and sing God's praises? Never. They might mosh put it out, dancing around, waving their arms here all over the place, but what they are singing is hopelessness, not singing the eternal truths which point to Jesus Christ. And so here is this crowd and God gives them a bit of an insight into what He will do. And then we get to the sixth seal. And let's look at what God does in this one. And this one is a very dark scene, but there's hope here as well. Verse 12 to 19. If you thought things were bad up to now, we're just getting into the frying pan. The fire is still coming. This is a prelude to judgment with a capital J. The the day when God will judge all those who still do not believe in Him. And note too that there are no other heavenly agents involved now. There's no horses. There's no no one else involved here. There's only God who brings the next bit to pass. God acts alone. And John tries to put it into pictures in mere human words. And you'll notice that word like or like a. John is trying to, he's seen this overwhelming vision in heaven and it's going to overcome him. And he's trying to put it in, in some kind of words in that little span that he's got there, so that we can try and kind of understand what's happening here. But it's bigger than that. And you need to see this picture in your mind's eye. Here we have described this great earthquake, and none has been greater before. We live on the shaky isles, don't we? We know what earthquakes are. But the earthquake on that day, before God's judgment, will be an earthquake that the world has never felt before. It will rock the earth's foundations if the earth had foundations. The very globe will be rocked. This is going to be an earthquake to end earthquakes. And what else is going to happen on that day? The sun will be blackened like a cloak which mourners wore made out of goat's hair which was pitch, dark, pitch black. And no light will come in here. The, the sun will be blotted out on that day. And not just that. The moon will become red like blood. You need to see this in your mind's eye now. And the stars will fall. Now whether it's literal stars falling or whether it's meteorites or showers of them coming down onto earth, they will fall like unripe figs being hit by a strong wind and just coming off the tree when the season is not there yet. Do you see the picture? This is the precursor to judgment. And the sky will split apart like a scroll being closed up. This was predicted in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4, many years before John saw this. And you need to see this prediction, this prophecy. Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4. I'm going to read it to you. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall. All leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. There it is, hundreds of years before. And God says, on the day before I bring judgment on you, this will be judgment as well. But it is nothing compared to the judgment which will come. And everything that idolaters worshipped, the earth, the sky and everything on it, everything will be removed. You see, those on earth, earth dwellers worshipped created things and not the creator, says Romans. They made idols from wood made from trees. They worshipped... The created things and not the Creator. And the ultimate security will now be removed. And they will stand naked and exposed before the One who made it all. The only true God. And what will people's reactions be? Da. If you were on earth on that day and you might be. What will your reaction be? Sheer Terror will overcome people. And note, people from all classes of society are described here. And think of those three horsemen, the first three horsemen now. God's judgment won't discriminate no matter who you are, no matter who you might be in position on this earth. There will no longer be anyone in charge of anyone because all, all these classes will fall away on this earth. Kings, those who held political sway, no one will be powerful anymore. It doesn't matter how powerful they were on this earth. Great men uh, wonder how much influence they had in society. No one will be great on that day. Commanders of armies. No one will have an army who will stand on that day. Those who, who thought their riches could save them. The rich man will look to his riches. And it will be meaningless in his hands. And the poor... Bible doesn't say God will save all the poor. No we in Scripture does He say that. He will only save the poor whose hearts are rich in Him. Those who have been saved by grace. God doesn't save all the poor. Many say that today. God's heart is for the poor. It is for the poor if they come to Him and bow their knees. And many, those who are weak, those who are strong, slave and free. There are no more classes here that John can think of all who do not acknowledge God as their God will fall under the same judgment. And all will cry out on that day, Hide us! Hide us from what? From the earthquakes and the meteorites? No. What does the text say? Verse 16 and 17. Anyone? Anyone? Yes? Sandra? Sandra? Hide us from God's presence. Hide us from the presence of the one who sits on the throne. I couldn't care about earthquakes and meteorites. That's nothing compared to the one who sits on the throne. Because I can't hide my heart from Him. He sees right through me. And I know that it's too late. Hide me from Him. The great judge of all creation. Because now I stand. Naked and exposed. And He will judge Me, I can't get away anymore. Do you see the terror? And hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. The one who's opened the seals. The one who will put this judgment into effect. Hide me from Him. The one who's covered with blood. The blood I didn't listen to. The one who I never bowed my knee to. Hide us from His presence. What does that make you think of immediately? If you were a good Jew, hide us from His presence. What does it make you think of? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve. What did the first man and woman do when they sinned before the Lord? And they knew it. We'd better hide from God. And so what did they do? They went and hid from the Lord they couldn't hide from Him who can see all. And so what happens here? It's a beautiful picture, you see. God ends as He started. Mankind tries to hide. And as God brought judgment on the first man and woman in that Garden of Eden, with sin, unless it is paid for, they too will die in their sin. He brings judgment on all those at the end of time who still we'll try and hide from the great Creator God. What a wonderful, symmetric, perfect God we serve. And so we see here that the definitive day of judgment has arrived. The day of the Lord. And it hasn't been described yet. This is only the introduction to what will then happen, because after this all men and women, and every man and woman and child will stand before God and they will be judged. But what has happened here is leading up to that, and it's going to be terrible in itself, but it's nothing when compared to the wrath of God, which will then come on those who do not believe. And note too that this cry before the Lord of save us is not a cry of repentance, but it's a, it's a cry of mindless self-preservation. How do I know that? Because Scripture tells me, Revelation chapter 16, and you need to see this for yourself, and we've pointed to this before in one of the, other, the previous sermons. Revelation chapter 16 speaks about how people will react, the godless, those who are still in their sin, when they are confronted by the awesomeness of what God brings upon them. Revelation chapter 16, verse 8 to 9. This is what they will do. I'm going to read from verse 8 of chapter 16. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And we'll come to all these bowls. It's going to be another camera angle on the same things which are going to happen. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Part of God's judgment. And they were scorched by the fierce heat Now, look at this. Look at their reaction. And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. Do you see the insidious nature of sin? It is so deep in people that it's all-consuming. And even in the face of God's judgment, they will still not bow the knee, even if they could. They will still shake the fist at Almighty God, even though they are being judged. Do you see the depths of sin? Look at verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And it's a deep, deep darkness like, remember the plagues in Egypt? And people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Verse 20, or verse 19. The great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nation fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of Israel. Verse 20. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. Huh, we've seen that somewhere. And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And the people fell on their knees and they repented before the Lord. Is that what it says? No. God's Word says, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. The depth of sin. And this is a sin that Jesus Christ saves us from. How could we ever save ourselves from a sin that is so deep? But by the grace of God, we are lost in our sin. And so those who haven't yet bowed the knee, they are the ones who will now Curse God even in this day of judgment. And therefore, Scripture ends with this verse. Who can stand? When God pours out His judgment, who can stand? It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. And they know the answer. No one can stand before this great, all-seeing, all-powerful God. And so they will be judged. No questions asked. No way out. And this all, before the proper wrath of God has even been brought to bear. But you know, for us as believers, it will be a bittersweet day when that day of judgment comes. Why? Because we will see God's grace revealed to us, yes. And we will see His majesty and we will see His holiness. But on that same day, many believers are going to perish. And that should really sadden us. Because we should really have a love for the lost as Jesus had. And so what can we do about that as believers? We can get up from this place and tell people about Jesus Christ. And this great wrath which is going to come upon them, which no one will be able to escape from, and before which no one will be able to stand in their own right. We have the message of grace. And yet somehow we stay in our homes and we keep sealed lips and we're scared of people. What a great love God has for people. That He will hold back His judgment until the last of those who are to be saved are saved. Lord, give us some of Your love for the last. I want to put four statements and a question to you. And then we through. The first one is this one. In light of the fifth seal, does God ignore evil? What's the answer? No. He doesn't ignore it. He delays His judgment, right? Why? Because He first brings into the kingdom those who will be saved. So God isn't inconsistent. He's as consistent as He's ever been from before time to after time. He stays the same. He delays His judgment until everyone who is appointed to be saved is saved. And therefore, He's a patient God. But He's not a walkover. Don't presume on the grace of God and say, I will wait till I'm a bit older. Don't presume on the grace of God and say, not now. I first want to live life and enjoy some of the things of life and then I will come to Him and Be all holy. You might not get the opportunity. You might be one of those who are caught unawares when God returns like a thief in the night and you will stand before Him and cry, Save me from God. Come to Him when you hear Him calling you. And that is today. Don't presume on His patience. The second statement I want to bring to you from this passage is this one. God's judgment does not discriminate. Are you ready to be judged today? Here's the truth for you. Those who do not worship God now will not worship Him then unless Jesus intervenes. Don't think that one day it will be alright. Somehow it's going to work out for me. That's the definition of insanity. You know the definition of insanity? The man with a Coke machine, right? Standing in front of the Coke dispenser, I can put in my $2 and press Coke. And what will pop out? Coke. And if I put in my $2 and say, I want a Fanta grape or a Fanta orange, and I press that button, what's going to come out? Coke. And if you put another $2 in and say, Oh, I want an orange juice. And you press the button. What's going to come out? Coke. Unless you do something different. You will not worship God if you are not worshipping Him now. Unless Jesus intervenes and you bow the knee, you will find yourself on that day crying out, Save me. And God will not listen to you. He will judge Are you ready to be judged? Bow the knee to this Lamb who has opened these seals. He will take away the sins of the world and that includes your sin. Every sin. Thirdly, as believers here today, I want to bring you a word of encouragement from God's Word. Here it is. Endure a little longer. 2 Peter 3 verse 15 says this, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. And therefore waiting can, waiting for God's justice can be hard on us. Because I don't know about you. I kinda, I kinda got into the mode of I want things now. That's why I like instant coffee. And my Nespresso machine. I can press a button, out it comes. Wait for God's justice. And if you're going through hard times in this life, I want to encourage you as a believer, wait on God's justice. It will come. You will be part of that great multitude before the Lord. But wait a little longer. And He will give you the strength. And by the way, waiting doesn't doesn't mean passively waiting around. It means taking the Gospel to those around you. That is what it is. His answer will come. And then those who worship now will worship God before His throne then. You will be among that crowd. But hold on. Endure. That's what this whole book is all about. For you and I as believers. Endure to the end. And God promises you that those who will remain faithful, He will always remain faithful. And the question I want to put to you is, will you be found among the faithful? Or will you walk away? Because the going got too tough. Luke chapter 18, verse 6-8. Listen to these words. Luke chapter 18, verse 6-8. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and he was speaking to a widow here. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. God will give us justice. Last yesterday, we remembered Pete and his faithful walk before the Lord. And as human beings, for us, sometimes that must be hard to see a loved one fade away and then die. And we're alone. But the Lord says to us, wait a little longer. And then you'll be reunited and you'll be together in the joy of the Lord." And you'll be standing there with all those who are also believers and who've gone before. And together you will praise my name. Wait. Trust in the Lord. He will bring you through. And then the last challenge for you and I from the book of Joel, the Old Testament, and I've got it for us on the overhead over here. And I want us to say it together because this is God's hope to us. From the Old Testament note, Joel Chapter two, and some of you might have never read through the book of Joel. Well, here's your chance. See God's word to you and I this morning. Let's read together. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and He relents over disaster. I want to plead with you if you're a believer and your your walk has got weak before the Lord, just come back to Him. He says, tear your heart before me, not your outer clothes. I'm not interested in that. Your heart is what I want to see. A broken heart. Return to me because I'm gracious. I'm merciful. I'm abounding in steadfast love for you. Return to me. I will forgive you. And walk your walk and endure before me. And then, before you know it, I will return and the waiting will be over. Amen. Lord our God, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this book of Revelation. And thank You that even in these dark scenes we can see Your hope And thank You that You've given us this precious jewel of a book. May we study it hard. May we look into it. May we do our homework. May we allow Your Spirit to use it, to make it clear to us, so that we can be encouraged in our walks. Why? So that we would live a life which points to Jesus Christ, to those that we come into contact with this week, whether it's our family, our friends, our colleagues. Use us, we pray, until we hear the archangels cry and we see you with our own eyes and our faith becomes sight. Use us. In your strength, we pray. Amen.